Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. And it's that time. Yes, it's been a few months, but he's back. Dave Dufour is here. The one and only host of, I want to say host of Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic Podcast Network, but Dave, I believe, is still on about 13 podcasts a week. So he's just more like omnipresent. And we have a tradition Dave, I think going back to the 2019 playoffs, I think that's when it started of just previewing any kind of seasonal thing we can. We preview the regular season. If you missed our regular season preview to start the season back in November, that was a blast. And uh, and we preview postseasons quite a bit. And now it's time for the 2022 playoffs. And I'm excited to talk to you, Dave, because we haven't talked about basketball in what feels like forever, despite talking regularly throughout the season, and this postseason might be one of the most wide-open tournaments, I guess depending on how you feel about the favorites, um, ever in decades? Is it 1975? Like, what's going to happen? How are you feeling? Um, I'm pretty excited, man. This this has been a really fun season. Uh, Beyond the parody and the young teams that have popped up and been fun to watch, like the Cavs and the Grizzlies, which... You know, if you go back and listen to our season preview, we were kind of we were high on those teams anyway. The Cavs were a tough. The, the Cavs, Cavs were a tough one to see. We we liked Garland a lot, though. I remember that. I, I know, but I didn't. I didn't know it was going to be this whole. Oh, who knew? But and why it's isn't been a fun he? Season. Why isn't he the most improved player of the year? I'm, I've never been more confused. I mean, it's a made up award anyway, but. <laughs> No one at the beginning of the season thought this was... They didn't look at Garland. They were like, he's a really good starter from last year. Oh, he jumped to an all-star. He went from kind of nothing to an all-star and none of the other candidates except John Morant. But John Morant was already good. La- anyway, I don't know how you feel about that. but I mean, I would have given Giannis the most improved the year that he won his first MVP. Right. But, you know, then... I don't know. I don't know how these awards work, man. Some of these just don't make any sense to me. I don't know that... Most improved for a guy who's in his third season makes a lot of sense either. He should be better. Well, I, re- I don't want to get into that. That's grading yeah. on a curve. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so so the point of that is that um, that was that was a a difficult team to see the Cavs, but the Grizzlies we loved, and the Grizzlies are now in the second seed potentially. See. If you're listening to this at any point in the week, Dave and I also have a tradition that's one year old of just completely eschewing the play-in games because we just we don't need that information to talk about what's going to happen in the postseason. So we have no idea if Memphis is going to play Minnesota or I guess the Clippers. Clippers that's the only yeah. the only teams that can play, right? Um, I actually think that that game is a bit trickier than just you know Minnesota has home court, but. Mm-hmm. How are For you? Sure. Let's, st- let's start with the Grizzlies, and then we can go wherever you want because both conferences are fascinating. How are you feeling about Memphis as kind of like the new team on the block? The fact that they've been maybe the greatest team in sports history without John Morant. Um, I believe they're like seventy-one and one without him, um, smashing teams. And so not not only are they a young club and they have this dynamic, but they also uh, are a very balanced team. They have a lot of depth, right? Uh, even though they have Morant and then maybe Jaron Jackson would be the other number two guy. And depending on how you feel about Desmond Bain, they're, they're, they kind of remind me of the Sonics. That's something I've been saying all year from the 90s, where they have a lot of big names. They have like Peyton and Kemp and maybe Kendall Gill or whatever it is. But 
You're bringing Nate McMillan off the bench. You're, you're, you're going to Sam Perkins for looks at stretch five. I kind of feel like they have that with their athleticism, their youth, uh, all their success in transition, how good they've been on the offensive glass. Let's just swing for the fences. How are you feeling about Memphis? Uh, I think Memphis can make the finals. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel pretty strongly about them. Their ability to go big, I think, is so unique because they are – I mean, they're big as shit. Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson has a lot of size – Jaron Jackson's ability to just disrupt passing lanes and protect the basket. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that can do it the way he does. And then on the offensive end, what he brings. I mean, it's just they have this this unique guy in Jaron Jackson that allows him to play in like 10 different ways. And I think that that's sort of – he's their ceiling to me. You know, like We know what they are with Ja, and we know that Ja in the play – I mean, we've seen it. We know what's going to happen. He's going to get into the paint. He's going to score, and he's going to create stuff for other people. But we haven't seen this version of Jaron yet in is, this sort of high leverage position. Yeah. When you say that, do you, is that an offensive side of the ball thing? Or do you both. Think, right? Okay. Because clearly on defense, he unlocks so much with his versatility. And I think you're going to see situations where he's at the five. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're going to see situations where he's at the four and switching and disruptive on the perimeter and getting in passing lanes. Maybe Steven Adams is, you know, that starting it lineup. Works, that, it works against either of these teams, by the way. I mean, you throw two bigs against Minnesota, they're going to struggle. And the Clippers, man, I mean, I don't know how they counteract it either. Zubac is very good, and Hartstein, I mean, this has been his best year. And and for sure, the last few months, he's been awesome. But uh, Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson, that's a whole other beast. I mean, they led the league, what was it, like 18.7 second-chance points a game or something. They took hundreds of more shots than the next closest team. I mean, this these guys do not fuck around. They're insane. So is that is that sustainable? That's the question. When you get into the playoffs, is there transition, ability to turn you over, and then kind of these lineups where they're pounding you on the glass? And, of course, we should mention um, that John Morant getting into the paint and sort of their athleticism and the way they – present themselves with these you know Desmond Bain like a bodybuilder out there like there there's stuff happening upstream in the possession that makes them have all these second chance points but I think that the lingering question for people is how sustainable that is and I think we're kind of in lockstep here I am not someone who's worried about them getting picked off in the first round but the question becomes as you said at the top is this a team that takes that 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder leap to the finals or you know do they have do they have some hills to get over against the veteran teams that they're going to run into I mean I guess that's the question but Jaron I mean he's going to close games as their center and it'll likely just be him they've done that a lot this season I think that that is something that you know not a lot of teams have a guy like that like him I mean Minnesota is, is at least on one end it's kind of close uh the defensive end is nowhere close so I do think that their versatility, basically unmatched hmm. in take- the West, in the West, because Phoenix can't do, they don't have the lineup combinations that Memphis has because of what Jaron can do on both ends. Phoenix seems to me like they're going to play their way, mm-hmm. right? It's hard, it's hard for me to kind of squint and envision them completely coming out of their defensive sort of concepts where they're basically switching everything except around a drop big um, and funneling toward him when possible. And then, of course, the way they play on offense, I think, is is 
I don't know if anyone's going to take them out of the way they play on offense per se. So tell me if you're with me. It feels like Phoenix, in a sense, at least schematically, is is a consistent coming into the tournament where you're saying maybe Memphis is more like a Swiss Army knife. Quite a bit, yeah. I think that that's that's an accurate description. And and I look, Phoenix is a wins machine. I, I we can pencil them in to the conference finals. I think. I mean, I, I just whoa, wow. Don't you feel the same? I mean, you don't feel the same way. I actually don't. No. Well, the, okay. Well, the Luca injury is ah uh, right yeah. a little bit interesting to me because I I mean I feel the same way about Dallas. I actually do think Dallas can. They've got that puncher's chance because they have the guy who can be the best puncher in a series, in every series. But the injury is kind of making me a little cautious. And and unfortunately, we won't know anything until sometime next week. I, I actually – Tim Cato and I did a pod yesterday, and he doesn't think he's going to play in game one. Um, and, and game two would be questionable as well. Like if, if Dallas wins game one of their first-round series, you probably sit him until game three, I'm guessing. Well – we're recording this on Tuesday morning, yeah. which is four days before the, the big tournament starts. And I think what's guaranteed is Luke is going to play hurt. I, I, think, I think that's so too. guaranteed, right? So, but so maybe the, not game one, though. Exactly. Yeah. The question is, how bad is the injury? And then what is the circumstance? Um, the the Jazz are are seemingly falling apart at the seams, but they're also not to be trifled with. You know, you, you don't want to go back to Utah and have to play games in that environment. And um, it's been the discussion, uh, the topic of a lot of discussion around these parts all season. You don't want to let Donovan Mitchell get cooking. So yeah, we don't know how that's going to play out, but I think if it is the kind of strain that, you know, let's say in 10 to 14 days, he's, he's getting back to where he normally is. uh, They wouldn't play, they wouldn't play Phoenix until I believe the earliest start date is like April 30th or something. And there's some wiggle room depending on how the first round series go. But we're basically talking about the first week of May. And that is almost three weeks away just to start those series. So if you think Dallas, in whatever form Luka is in, can get through that matchup, in theory, they should be basically healthy, knock, you know, knock on wood and no other injuries in their first round series. But that would still be the sort of full-strength Dallas-Phoenix matchup that looms on the horizon, potentially. Uh, well, and it, and a calf injury is actually one of the few, it's a rare injury that responds well to more load. Like, it actually improves the, the conditioning of the calf and it helps you heal. Proactive uh, ask, healing, Dave. Ask me how I know this. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, being, you're a calf master. We, we know that around I these am. parts. Yeah. yeah, being an old man uh, certainly uh, has helped me gain quite a bit of experience. Um, why, why are you so well versed in in ca- I'm I'm not going to lie uh and and mislead the people and make them think that you haven't sent group text pictures of your calves to people yeah. before that I've been part of. Well, I mean, what's the what's the story there? Well, I mean, listen man, I don't skip leg day. And I don't mind busting up a group chat <laughs> with some leg shots. Um I, you know man, uh I just think uh, it's important to take care of your body and your calves are such an important part of your cardiovascular system that it's important to train your calves and i so i train my calves every day i was actually teeing you up for an explanation on calf injuries but um, oh i mean you know we, we can go you back were to asking your... why i you know why i'm so into calves now i did tear my calf last <laughs> june that that's what happened and yeah. and so yeah and so i've done a deep dive on uh basically every study that's come out in the last five years on calves and uh the number one thing i learned was this soon as soon as you can get it under load again 
put it under load and you will start healing faster. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. See, we, we Dave and I never have any idea what we're going to talk about no, when we never. do a podcast except the general scope of having to quote-unquote preview the playoffs. And here we are just a few minutes in, um, you know, with physio lessons on Cavs. So, okay, so let's assume for a second that Luca does improve with all his weight-bearing activities um, and that you get a full-strength Dallas versus Phoenix. It sounds like you're with me that you think that could be a bit of a a bit of a dicey matchup for the Suns. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. I'm going to start with Dwight Powell, but I think Dwight Powell and, and the way that he's played this year, it, it really does give him a chance to hang with Aiton. Um, he's been really good. And Maxi, the shooting aside, I think his defense will be key in that series that he's going to have to make shots. Uh, but if Luka is healthy, he's the best player in that series. And in the playoffs, that's that's what matters almost as much as anything else. As good as Phoenix is, I think Luka's ability to be the rising tide for the Mavericks and their ability to go five out and play that chaotic defense that they're able to play with all these guys able to switch and dig down and just cause kind of general chaos. Yeah, man, I think Dallas is dangerous. I, I think what's so crazy to me about these playoffs is – if you're a Suns fan, uh, assuming you're not caught up in all the hubbaloo that's going on right now about positioning and rankings and MVP awards and all this stuff, you're probably, one, feeling really good because your team's fantastic and you have a great coach, and two, you're probably not that worried about Dallas because you swept them in the regular season. But what's so insane about this season in particular, besides the parody, is the way it's come about with teams like Dallas and Boston doing complete 180 U-turns in the middle of the regular season, right? And so you can go back and look at some of those games, and if you're lucky, there's a game in like the last two months where everyone's healthy, where you get maybe a decent indicator. Um, But I know just off the top of my head, I'll try to pull it up here in the background, Dallas did play Phoenix at least once or twice where Luka wasn't even involved earlier in the season. And it's like, how much information can we get you know, how, how how different are these teams actually? I mean, injury aside, Dallas is running into the playoffs. I mean, Boston is too, but they're running into playoffs looking really good. I mean, 7-1 and one in their last eight games. Their point differential in those games, plus 14.4. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. really good, right? Like, that's running into the playoffs. Boston right behind them. I mean, for two teams that have completely flipped the script, they're both – going into the playoffs kind of at their peak, I think. Um, now, for Dallas, it's it's more about the offense. Their defense is not where it was in the beginning of the year. Um, but I do think that we've seen them able to kind of hit that level. We saw it again in that game against Boston a couple weeks ago. We saw it in the game against Milwaukee. Uh, what was that last week or week before last? Um, yeah, yeah, something like that. And so I do think that Dallas is it, it maybe being slept on a little bit, which I hate to say. They're, the indicators that I look for for playoff success, man, they check a lot of those boxes. A lot of those boxes. 
they remi- they're, they're still not quite um, a team that you would think of as like a traditional championship team. Yeah, having having the single star structure with Luca. And then, you know, usually you might have like a defensive player of the year or you might have a sixth man. You might have a little more that fills out that space. So they're kind of built in that mold, but not quite uh, the historical team that you would think could make a run. Like the the 03 Spurs were Tim Duncan, but then they had a lot of other parts or things they could throw at you. The Mavs actually remind me more of like, I've said this before, like a college team, almost like um, Kemba Walker's Connecticut run or something where it's built around Luca. And then you've got all these guys that if you're not paying attention, you don't know how good they are. Starting with Dorian Finney-Smith, oh, right? You, you, you mentioned Maxi Kleba. Um, Jalen Brunson is the obvious one for a lot of people. Dwight Howard with some of the things he can do. Uh, Dwight Howard, Dwight Powell uh, <laughs> with some of the things he can do. But even someone like Josh Green, I'm fascinated to see, right, what he can do you you got that that brought a big smile from you, Dave. I think he's sort of an X factor for for Dallas. Right? And if he's the fifth, like let's say you know he's the fifth guy, and you have Dorian Finney-Smith, and I'm thinking about Utah, and you're running the their their smaller lineup, and he's the fifth guy, and you have him on Donovan Mitchell, and you've got Dorian Finney-Smith on Rudy Gobert. Uh, now all of a sudden, Dallas can do a lot in that pick and roll coverage. And again, I do think that it's a series that they are going to, especially in game one without Luca, it's going to be a max. They're going to try maxi and he's going to have to hit shots. But if he's not, I think I'd run Josh green out there, man, his athleticism, his uh, chaotic energy and transition. I think it can do them some good. And the guy's a really good passer too. And having another guy who can pass like that on the court and defend, that's pretty good, especially against a team like Utah. So um, yeah, I think he's he's sort of oh you know might be the secret weapon for Dallas. We we haven't even mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. You know he's he's probably more of a traditional X factor in whether these multi guard lineups can give you enough uh, on ball juice, scoring, playmaking, creation that it becomes an issue defending it. And of course, we've seen with Utah running into kind of their kryptonite of like. Hey, why are you playing four or five perimeter players and <laughs> breaking us down at our incredible weak points? So that that's a first round series. We'll see where it goes. I well, don't. One thing yeah, about Denwitty, I do want to talk about is that um, what I love about the way he plays, and in particular in, in the series against Utah and uh, Game One where Luca may not play, is that when he gets a switch onto Rudy, he is going to attack. He's going to try to get downhill. And he's going to put pressure on the rim. He's not going to settle for those step backs. Now, if the step back's falling, he can get into that rhythm. But his first, his primary option is to try to put the ball on the floor and attack the basket. And that could be huge, especially if he can right off the gate pick up two fouls on Rudy Gobert. Now, all of a sudden, it's a, it's a coaching issue. And you got to figure out, okay, can we trust Rudy to stay out there with a couple fouls? Now, I expect they would because they have no other option. Rudy might be their best perimeter defender. So you can't sit him. Uh, yeah. I think Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie, like you said, a more traditional X factor. But that's one of, to me, that's one of the keys to Spencer Dinwiddie having a big series is to attack Rudy Gobert on, when he gets him on a switch. Okay, so this gets me back to um, the question I was going to ask a few minutes ago. If we just take a step back, yeah, how many teams do you think 
can come out of the West. We know it's Phoenix and Memphis. You've already mm-hmm. stated them. Um, would you include Dallas? <laughs> I mean, you got Luca, right? Like, um, gosh, man, that's tough. I, I think yes, and I think uh, we don't know what Steph's going to look like. So, Golden Stephen State. Curry, yeah, you know, he. Um, that's actually a great point to to bring up because in both 2016 and 2018 which were, I think it's fair to say, his weakest postseasons of his prime, even going back to like 2014 and 2013. Those two postseasons, he came in injured and he picked up like first, second round, whenever it was that he finally, quote unquote, came back for the rest of the playoffs. And he's a guy that it feels like if you take away his rhythm, it can take some time to get back into it, especially under that kind of intense cauldron of like, hey, you don't get a couple weeks in the regular season to kind of feel things out and get back to your own pace. You have to come in right away. I actually think the playoff game in 2016 against Portland, where he came back and they went into overtime and he had 40 points, I think that threw people a little bit because they're like, oh, he's just back. And it's like, no, he, he was not back. He just had a great moment against a team that matched up well and it is what it is. It's one game. So I think that's a really lingering question because in 15, in 17, in 19, uh, even as I said, 13 and 14, the other years where he's had that runway to build up into the postseason, I think his playoffs have been great. I think they've been historically underrated, frankly. I think they've been incredible. But the other times where we've seen this, now we have 16, 18, and 22, where he's he's going to be coming off an injury. Now this time, if he comes back and he plays right away in the first round, and they're playing Denver. I don't think Denver's a team that can come out of the West in their current health condition. Do you? Uh, probably not. And yeah. as much as I like Bones Highland, um, if we're talking about Bones Highland in the playoffs, I think that's a problem. Yeah. He's so, good, but he's not Jamal Murray. He's not Michael Porter Jr. He doesn't raise their ceiling to the degree that those two guys do. And Jokic is, I mean, he could be the best player in any series, but. Uh, how long until you get to the Nuggets' next best player before you've named, I don't know, five Warriors, probably? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's Jokic. Um, it, you know, the other guys on the Nuggets, including Bones and then Aaron Gordon. And they, they've had other players mm-hmm. who I think are going to make this series competitive. But I, I would be surprised if they won one series frankly, let, let alone the three series it takes. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. Denver – I don't think they're going to get out of the first round. Even if Steph is limited, I think the Warriors are just going to be better. They've got more guys. they got a little bit more juice on offense. And you know that once the play – I mean, the Warriors can actually sort of defend Jokic, and they're not worried about anybody else. Okay, so let's go to um, the juicy question for Golden State. One, do you think Golden State is a team that can win the West? It's all about Steph. Um, well, that that is a lot of ambivalence. Yeah, um, if, because if, if Steph is if Steph is Steph, then yeah. But if he's not, then no. I mean, that really is cut and dry for me. Okay. Well, the second question is, how are you feeling about Clay Thompson? That he's still forcing <laughs> shots, man. Like it's it's hard to tell. Is this is this guy going to play the way that we've watched him play, or is he going to revert to being Clay Thompson? Uh, or, or or the third option is is he going to just dial it back and be I don't want role players not the right term but some scaled down version of this because he's he's been a gunner he's just firing he took left 29 and, shots the other day 
I mean, this is like Scarface level uh, shot selection. He he is just out there, you know, letting everyone say hello to his little friend. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, these little like, uh, you know, uh, mid-range post-ups that he's calling for and like to shoot the fade away. I mean, come on, man. Like it's it's so out of character from what we're used to. But to be honest with you, man, I wonder if it's just all that time off. And he's doing individual skill work for so much of it. And you just fall into these weird basketball habits when you do that. You know, it's why I actually think individual skills training is overrated. I'd rather guys do their training with a team environment. You know, you learn how to actually play the sport and not just do tricks. Um, But that's a conversation for a different day. And I wonder, though, if for Clay, if it's not the massive layoff, you know, he was just, I mean, how long was he gone? It was like a thousand days or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a long time. And especially empty gym, man, like you and I both know crab dribbling is fun. It's not very useful <laughs> in a game. Yeah. I, I, I look forward to that day you get on that soapbox and um, <laughs> give that give that TED talk about individual skill work. I, I don't know if it's overrated per se, but I think you're making a fantastic point, which is that you you can fall into sort of grooves or patterns or traps and then that probably does have something to do. I mean, when Clay came back, it was, oh, is he pressing? You know, is it, is, it, is it rust? But this has been going on. I mean, this is the second week of April. And if you look at his game log, going back to when he came back at the beginning of January, he's literally never taken a game where he takes fewer than 10 shots. And that was on a, that was on a pitch count. He was in the teens and then under 25 minutes for a long time. And now he doesn't have a minutes limit and he's playing in the 30s and mid 30s and he hit 40 once. And if you scan this, Dave, um, he's had one, two, three games in the last two months where he took fewer than 15 shots. <laughs> so he's he's just out there. Anyway, I, I think the big... One, yeah, of the things that, one of the things that stood out to me is just how much Ooh. dribbling he's doing, right? And so he's getting worse looks because he's actually having to put himself in the position to get the shot off. It's not the offense creating the looks for him. So, you know, that's a part of it. Like, he, he keeps doing this hang dribble on his drives, and he wants to get to that pull-up so bad. And it, to me, that just screams empty gym workout. Yeah. Empty yep. gym workout. And I would just love to see that guy get back to being clay. And maybe that's what we see i mean like clearly they are forcing the issue with him trying to get him comfortable but it seems to me like you would want to put him in the role where he's going to thrive and where he's going to be able to to provide the most punch to this team and that is being clay thompson not yeah, well, not whoever he's i mean i mean who is he right now i don't i don't know what's his usage like 35 i don't know what anything in usage means but probably around <laughs> The, the whatever the high one is yeah uh, because usage of course is just a measure of shots and turnovers right. and um his turnovers aren't that high because he doesn't do it he just catches the ball and f- passes it toward the basket but <laughs> you know the, the question the question is um you know he had 36 33 and 41 to close the season on some scalding three-point shooting if he's out there running around playing like this and making 44, 45% of his threes, and it feels like the old Clay Thompson, I think to some degree that's going to make the Warriors even better uh, and kind of give them that extra boost in the postseason that people thought, hey, when we put this whole thing together in November, when Clay's coming back, this is what we're going to get. I don't know if we're going to get that, 
The flip side is he continues to play this way, and to me it's actually kind of detrimental. I think Jordan Poole's minutes earlier in the season. Here's an underrated thing. Jordan Poole, um, defensively and offensively, he's a different type of player than Clay, and so the way the Warriors have played this season, Poole's off-ball defense is a better fit in a lot of those lineups, and then his playmaking and on-ball creation and decision-making is a better fit. Because if you put Clay and Wiggins out there together, which is a lot of what's happened, on offense, you get guys who aren't great decision-makers and playmakers, and you're delegating too much of that responsibility to them. And then on defense, you have two guys who struggle a little bit off-ball who are better on-ball. So... Yeah, you've been nodding a lot. What, what do you think of sort of the fit there? Well, I mean, Jordan Poole is lightning in a bottle, right? I mean, this guy is – I'm not going to say you can have two Steph Currys out there, but you can have two Steph Currys out there to a certain degree. And Clay Thompson, if he can just beat Clay with those two guys running around, that's pretty unstoppable. And, and Wiggins' ability to put it on the floor – as the fourth guy, like I, I mean, I'm assuming that Wiggins and Draymond would round out the closing five there, and maybe Looney is in for. I hate to say it, but probably would be in for Jordan Poole in, well, in some situations. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, um, I don't know, man. I think Jordan Poole is as important as Steph Curry, if that makes sense. Because hmm. if Steph is diminished, they're going to need a lot more Jordan Poole. I, I understand what you're saying, but I could yeah. also see it. I could see this thing with Golden State going in so many different directions. I, just, because, I don't know what to think about what Clay is going to do and, and yeah. then the question mark about Steph. And so I think that if Steph comes back and, is, and he's healthy, things can fall into place nicely. But if he's not, I think everybody else may start pressing. And we've seen what it looks like this year with Clay pressing. It's not great. <laughs> so not a finals team. In Probably that situation. Not. But if Curry, you know, if Curry looks good and everything follows Curry as the tip of the spear and Draymond Green is healthy and another guy, just a name that has just gone into the attic and has just had dust collecting on him all season, Andre Iguodala, you know, when he's out there again, 15 to 20 minutes a game, spot duty, the defensive sort of knowledge that they have, the tribal knowledge that they have on that team, and then offensively another elbow creator and playmaker. See, I think a huge deal with Draymond being out is he's essentially what we would consider their point guard back in the old days. And when you don't have the ability to replace that ball handling, the system gets a little shaky. So they switch Curry on ball and, you know, they survive, but it's a it's a different thing with him on ball all the time. So I think if Curry's there and everything follows suit um, – I definitely think they could come out of this Western mm-hmm. Conference. Yeah, I think the top the top four all have a shot if everything goes well for them, right? Like if Luca's healthy, if Steph is healthy, if Ja is healthy, you know, um, then yeah, I think all all four of those teams could make the finals. Before we move to the East, and I'm excited to move to the East, Phoenix, they are the one seed. They finish with the best record. They finish with the best point differential. They've been a machine all season. Also, in, incredible in close games, which I don't think translates quite as well as people want it to. I don't think just constantly winning close games means you're guaranteed to constantly win close playoff games. But which of these teams do you think presents the biggest problem for Phoenix? Is it Memphis in a conference finals matchup? Is it Golden State in a conference finals matchup? Or do you like the Suns against both those teams and you think they just have to kind of get by uh, 
healthy Dallas or whatever unhealthy Dallas, whatever, whatever presents in the second round. I think that Phoenix, the experience is going to help them quite a bit against Memphis. That does matter. And Chris Paul is, I mean, he's a wizard. So um, I, I think that that's probably, I mean, I, I'd lean Dallas, then Memphis, then Golden State. And that's this is assuming Steph is healthy because when Steph sees Chris Paul for some reason, he just turns into this different animal. And I'm not sure that Phoenix has the punch, uh, the firepower to match what Steph Curry would do yeah. playing in a Western Conference Finals against Chris Paul. I completely agree. What a boring show. We just completely agree with each other every it. two minutes. Yes. Well, again, man, I, and I tell you this all the time. The, the, the way I know I'm doing my job right is because you and I agree on a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's, that's not a good sign. No, you don't want that to be, be your litmus test. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's hard to get those matchups. Uh, I think I did multiple game-level videos on them, just anticipating them meeting at the end of the year. But Phoenix versus Golden State – you know, the Suns did win that opening meeting in the Valley. Uh, Steph Curry had multiple air balls. He couldn't throw it in the ocean. All credit to Phoenix because that's the level of defense and precision they can play with. But after that, it looks like Golden State has an advantage to me in that matchup. And maybe by virtue of having home court, the Suns flip it back toward them. I don't know. That would That's a Western Conference Finals. I would love to see if everyone's healthy. And of course... We've talked a lot about the Warriors' health and their rhythm and what's going to happen there. But Phoenix, there's a lot of history of injury. You know, Chris Paul making it through three rounds again without getting scathed in any way. That also is a question mark to me. Um, yeah. I mean, he definitely, his track record's not amazing. But, uh, you know, there, I'm hoping that the late season injury that he just had just not gets that out of the way and he can have a nice <laughs> clean run. That's what, we're, that's what we're rooting for. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the Suns finished with the best win-loss record in the league, but in terms of adjusted point differential, net rating, SRS on basketball reference, they actually ended the season second because the team that finished with the best differential in the league, somehow, Dave, they were 11th in the Eastern Conference around the holidays. They finished with the third seed, the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics since February 1st, have the best offensive rating in the NBA at 121.8. Now, if you're if you're not calibrated to these things, the average offensive rating you know, is about 115 since February 1st. So just, just you know, put that in your pipe and toke on it for a minute. Um, <laughs> and then on the defensive side of the ball, 
Again, since February 1st, with the average offensive rating being about 115, the Celtics have the best defense in the NBA since February 1st. With a 107.6 defensive rating, they are nearly uh, three, they are just about three points ahead of the second-best defensive team, the Miami Heat. Phoenix is third. So the question for you, Dave Dufour, um, are the Celtics the favorite in the East in your mind, or is it just wide open? I think it's wide open kind of. I, I expect Milwaukee to, to win the East, right? Um, they are now healthy again. They've got Giannis. That's, that should be the favorite. Um, if Rob Williams wasn't hurt, I might lean Boston. Because this this offense and defense should be pretty – like it should translate to the playoffs. Now their offense can run into issues, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens um, You know, once they start playing against a, a playoff defense in the second round. But I, I do think that the way that they defend and the, the opportunities that, that that defense creates for them uh, makes them super dangerous. But – not as dangerous without Rob Williams. As good as Al Horford's been, he doesn't raise their ceiling to the degree that Rob Williams does. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but I, I, I just want to circle back. Was that a was that a backhanded remark you made about the play-in teams with their defense? There's not going to be a real defense. Well, from I mean, one of the yeah, like Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland can is, defend, but I, I don't expect yeah. Cleveland to to actually, you know, beat Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so assuming Brooklyn can win this one game, I actually think the Celtics match up plenty fine with Brooklyn. There's some rumors that Ben Simmons is going to come. I mean, I, I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but, man. Like a guy that hasn't played meaningful basketball in a year, almost. I, I'm just like, how is he going to do it? I mean, I don't know. Can he Can he it, shoot? It just, I don't know. It just doesn't yeah. seem like a, a thing to me until it's a thing. Yeah, exactly. But, but what's interesting is that you mentioned the Bucks, and I think the one team that matches up very well with the Celtics, all things being equal compared to the other teams, is the Bucks. And especially with Brooke back and their size, you know, both Milwaukee and Boston have some depth questions. But when Milwaukee's completely healthy and they get every it's like, okay, you can seven, eight guys in the playoff rotation, you're good. And then you have Tatum, you have Jalen Brown. What's what's Marcus Smart going to be like in a series against? Oh my God, Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday. Oh my God, Gosh. playing it. It's like the Spider Man meme, Dave. <laughs> Did, do you play this Mario? Have you ever played Mario Kart? Have I ever played? Yeah. Have I ever played Mario Kart? So so these guys are like uh, Bowser. I'm, I'm I'm offended. <laughs> They're like a Bowser of uh, point guard defense, right? Like they 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 were just rough and tumble. But then when they get going downhill, like they're fast and then strong. I don't know, man. It's a funny reference, but like I think about those two guys. Uh, I mean, you can almost put Fred Van Vliet in there, but he's not big enough. Like, but Drew and Marcus Smart remind me so much of each other. Where now Drew is only about business, and Marcus Smart is, let's just say, he embellishes quite a bit. Um, but they play so similarly. Uh, just I don't know, man. They're almost like fullbacks. <laughs> Did you did you play with Bowser when you played Mario Kart? Um, I, I mean, I'm good with everybody, man. But yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to get the Switch and 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 play some Mario Kart online, I guess. I I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, we'll I just I was well, I was thinking that these guys are like um, Kong, 
when they when you used to play the I don't know if they still have the battle mode where you just smash into someone. Yeah, that's kind of how they play. I want to say these were the same character models, just you know, or or different models, but same like uh, character physics. For, anyway, for, this is yeah. clearly the analysis people have. Yeah, tuned this, in is for. <laughs> this is what they want. This is what they want. Video games. Yeah, um, three decade old yeah, video games. I, I like. I, I do. Um, I, I like both of those guys at point of attack, and I mean a. Gosh, a second is a second round series because uh, Milwaukee it's, is it's a, yeah it's a second round series yeah and it's just going to continue the tradition we've had recently of second round series being like championship level series just Milwaukee last season having to play Brooklyn seven games in the second round so that's what it kind of feels like to me but I I will take a step back again and ask you when you look at the East how many teams do you think can win three series right now one wow. This is this is a new Dave Dufour, ladies and gentlemen. If you are not familiar with the old <laughs> Dave Dufour, you can go back and listen to some of our Everybody has a chance, except uh, yeah, Dave, Milwaukee Dave, is the best. Yeah, Dave usually is um, an equal opportunist for all teams and all players and all basically all possible outcomes. He's like a he's like a quantum superposition of <laughs> of describing well, basketball. I like to explore. I like to explore positive outcomes, right? Like it's it's a little bit more fun to do that for me, um, but unfortunately. There's one huge negative for everybody else in the East, and that's Giannis. I just don't know what you do against them. Like, I, I think Brooklyn is unserious. I, I don't expect that. I mean, they're a team that offensively, because of Kyrie and KD, okay, you can never count them out, but they're probably not getting past Boston. So I, I think that, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Bo- Boston would be second. So that series is is interesting to me, but without Rob Williams, I, d- I just don't think that they can match Milwaukee at all. All right, let me simplify the question. Who yeah, do you I know. Th- who who do you think will be the Western uh, the Eastern Conference opponent on the other side of that bracket where you're going to have okay. uh, the, this the Sixers I- and Ra- the Sixers and Raptors are playing, and then the Heat play a play in team. I, I think it's going to be the Raptors. Oh, here uh-huh. we go. Yeah, this is the this is the Dave Dufour we all came for. Well, look, man, the, the Raptors, they're in they're insane. This is this is a Dave Dufour team. Everybody's like six seven to six ten, with seven foot wingspans. They fly all over the place. Nick Nurse is a you know really good coach, and uh, I I don't love the Sixers right now. People people are a little hung up on Matisse Tybel not playing in Toronto. I don't think this is a big Matisse Tybal series. Yeah, because they're going to ignore him. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. They, yeah. they need gonna, a shooter. It, it's an interesting series in that it kind of throws together a bunch of extremes on both sides where Nick Nurse is just going to not be afraid to play five on four defensively, leave him in the corner. We've seen in the regular season matchups using that zone, sprinkling that zone in around Embiid and kind of saying like, well, what, well, what are you going to do? What do you? It's hard. It's is it going to be hardened? Is it, are you going to throw it into Embiid at the high post? How are you going to handle this? And then of course the Raptors with their everyone is six eight and switchy <laughs> and rangy and long and plus uh, Bowser Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and then you get Nick. Who else knows what Nick Nurse is going to try? He might play four players, Dave, at one point in the series just to throw off Philadelphia. Um, I think it's kind six of a fun series. More likely, actually, yeah, I think that he would try to find a way to play six. Oh, we did this in England. Um, yeah, I mean, look, man, I, I think about Fred Van Vliet digging down on Embiid post-ups. And uh, look, it's who's he going to pass to? This would be a great Seth Curry series for, for Philadelphia. 
You know, do you mean do you mean Seth Curry from the Seth Curry James Harden trade? Yeah, um, I, I just think having a guy who can move and shoot would be really really useful for for the Sixers. Um, I've seen how this story plays out. I've seen how Doc Rivers coaches in the playoffs, and uh, yeah, man, I think the Raptors they could win in five. Wow! But Whoa, I don't think it's amazing. likely. I don't think it's likely because I, I do like Embiid is just so good, and and if Embiid is going, you don't have an answer if you're Toronto. You 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 essentially are going to have to say, okay, well, you're going to get yours, and no one else can get anything. So you can't have a good James Harden game and a good Joel Embiid game, or you might lose. I think the elephant in the room is the way the game is called. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's 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 a huge X factor. Well, I mean, are the Sixers going to shoot forty free throws a game? If so, Sixers in six. Yeah, Sixers in five. If that happens, <laughs> that's for me. Maybe, because yeah. because I I think the challenge for Toronto to me is it just goes back to like the firepower. Um, you know, they can be disruptive. They can they can get out in transition. They can turn you over. They can throw you different looks. So Philadelphia's offense isn't scorching them or things like that and that can make it a competitive series but one thing we see over and over and over especially in the first round sometimes in the second round is when you just lack a lot of offensive electricity it can be difficult to generate wins in the playoffs unless you're like a defensive juggernaut and I don't think the Raptors are a defensive juggernaut you know though I'm not sure that they're not well, they've had the fifth best rating, defensive rating in the league since February 1st in the last 34 games, what I was citing earlier. It's 111.6. That's about four points below league. So it's like good, but... What's it going to yeah. look like if the foul calls dry up, though? See, that's the thing. If, if they're allowed be to be physical, I do think that that defense is going to be extremely disruptive to everything Philadelphia tries to counter with. I mean, uh, you know... I, I'm, gonna, I'm excited I'm gonna need, for that series. I, I can't Dave, wait. I'm going to need six games of Scotty Barnes on James Harden. It's That's be- all. I'm just going to need that. I'm just going to throw that out into the universe. Um, certainly, certainly, Nurse is going to do that because they spring barn, uh, Barnes on point guards all the time. But the question is, is it just going to be an endless steady diet of the long arms of Scotty Barnes pestering James Harden and watching Harden trying to figure out how to sort of make his way? Well, most players try to figure out how to make their way to score. He was going to try to figure out how to make his way to the uh, free throw line. Well, that's scoring, um, though, I thought. Um, isn't that where we're, we landed on that, that free throws are cool, actually? Free throws are great when defenses can't stop you from scoring. Free throws are apparently the worst things ever when your aim is to get free throws and not score. That's a, that's a oh, new man. one for Free me. throws are a waste of everybody's time. Just give them a point and move on. I, I'm tired of this. Like, quit slowing the game down. Um, so I take it you like, so, okay. Is Miami, I mean, are you just completely selling all your Miami stock? What, what's your take there? You know, it's funny. Um, we talked about this a little bit the other day. I, look, Eric Spolstra ha- is probably the real coach of the year. I mean, just if you look at what, what he's done there, I mean, it's just insane. I don't know how they got to one seat. And I know Monty Williams has done a wonderful job. There's too many guys that have done great coaching jobs. There's just not a lot of bad coaches anymore. And so much of this award winds up being about defying expectations. Yep. And, I mean, which, of course, Monty Williams probably going to wind up winning the award. And I don't know that that's the case for him. So I actually think that's a better choice for Coach of the Year than maybe J.B. Bickerstaff, who has also done a really good job. But what Spolstra did throughout – I mean, 
man, go look at all the lineups that they've had to run. I mean, it, it, he benched Duncan Robinson. You know what I mean? Like they've had so many, I mean, guys in and out of the lineup, and somehow they're the one seed. I, I think that Spolster has done a, a remarkable job, but that's very much Spolstra coaching them to the one seed. And I don't right. know that you can coach them that way to a title. I, I just don't. I think that individual players are so much more important once you get into the playoffs. I mean, who's their who's the guy that stirs the drink for them? Tyler Hero. He's going to get bum hunted on the other end. It's almost like floor raising as a coach, right? Um, we, we've seen this from coaches. It is, it's a different beast to take parts during the regular season, night to night, road trips, four four and five things like that, and get execution out of guys at a sustainable level that gets you to like 50 wins, which is what Miami's historically a very uh, low one seed in terms of the number of wins, 53 wins as the one seed. And he's done that to your point, Dave, with like Omer Yurt seven, Dwayne Dedman, um, Caleb Martin has had a huge Caleb Martin, Max Strews, Gabe Vincent have had huge minutes and huge roles and they've played well, but more, even more to your point, none of those guys have the hot sauce to go up a gear in the playoff. Like, at least Hero, you can go, okay, you can put him in a high-level playoff series and he can have a big scoring are they gonna, or something. Are they going to shut down the arena? Is it going to be a bubble situation? or mm-hmm. What are you suggesting? Well, I mean, I, I'm just asking. You know, just asking questions here, Ben. The, the answer to your first question is, I don't know who stirs the drink for Miami and the way you're asking it because I... I would like Miami, if I, if I were sitting here saying, make the case for Miami to win the East, to me, it has to be Jimmy Butler looking like a top 10 player, which means uh, just wonderful kind of game management for when to push, when to scale back. But you can only do that when you're really good when you push. You can only do that when you can say, okay, I'm going to pressure my man now. I'm going to pressure this defensive look until they make changes, until they make switches. And despite the numbers being somewhat similar, I haven't seen that. I'm, I don't have that confidence right now in Jimmy Butler to say, oh, yeah, if I'm making a list of the best players in the playoffs, um, I think when I get to like six or seven, I'm going to start considering him. It's got to be that. I think it's got to be Kyle Lowry, who's obviously aging out, but he's got to look close to what he looked like two years ago. Um, Bam has got to be the best version of Bam. Yeah, I, I, I don't. It seems less likely to me. Yeah, same. And um, why are we agreeing on everything? This some, is horrible. Listen, man. I, worst case scenario, I think for them is that somehow they face Brooklyn in the first round. Oh, because Brooklyn, I, I do think, can just win that series on the offense. Yep. And then, well, that see that that tilts the bracket in a really Doesn't funny it? way because then <laughs> Brooklyn would get the winner of the Philadelphia Toronto series, and. Kyrie I mean, wouldn't be able to play in Toronto. It's just, it's just full keeps of intrigue, better. man. Like honestly, man, I've been, I and mean, we've talked a lot. We've talked almost every day. Um, I've been so pumped following this season. It has been, yeah. Um, from a competitive perspective, it's been fantastic, and it so unpredictable. And I do think that yes, we have a lot of um, answered questions as usual at the end of the regular season. But there are still so many questions lingering in a in a way that in the six years I've been doing this, I've never experienced. I really have not gone into a playoff and not been able to at least say with confidence, I can give you 
two teams, one from the East, one from the West, and at least one of them is going to make the finals. This year I can't do it. Milwaukee is as close to what I feel is a lock as anybody. And even, I mean, we can come up with a scenario where, I mean, I think Boston probably neck and neck with them and could could win a series. Well, this potentially that home court advantage the right. Celtics have. And then if you're Boston, because of the Rob Williams thing, your dream scenario is you play the best teams later. But that series is still a May series, Dave. You know, that's like a May 1st to May 15th series. And assuming things go well, I I, I personally don't have a, a meniscus. On they the did inside. a debridement, right? They, they, they did a removal. They, they, yeah, they, I think they said that it could not, well, I shouldn't assume that it's possible that it could not be repaired. Okay. Um, but it was a, me- it was apparently a medical decision. So my assumption is that that's what they did. Okay. Right. They just did essentially what was, that would explain a shorter timetable too, you know, cause usually on a, on a repair where they do the stitch, it's that much longer. And, and it, yep. usually they shut a guy this late, they would shut him down and say, come back next year. Yeah. So I think the the issue from what I understand, because I, I don't have a meniscus on the inside of my right knee, um, but that was a that was a longer term thing for me to kind of go through. So my understanding is if when you come back from this procedure, as long as your knee responds and you don't have too much pain, I mean, at that point, you're just playing basketball. So I would the, the point I'm making here is what happens what has happened would make me think that Rob Williams can come back in May and still look like Rob Williams. He's not going to look like some shell of himself or be struggling to kind of um, compensate for a, a bum leg or something like that. So I think it's easy to see a scenario where the Celtics with the two seed in home court can get over the Milwaukee hump. And then if they can get over the Milwaukee hump, um, you know, then, then I, certainly they can come out of the East. Yeah. I mean, but the, the other side of that coin is that, the Milwaukee hump is a big one. <laughs> it's a it's big hump. Big. I mean, and not just big, like, because they're good, but they're also massive. They're huge. And, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, man. Like, Boston is a little bit undersized in that matchup. And But but they're kind of big. They're, they're big, it's, it's but a, they're not the it's same a different, kind of big. Yeah, it's a, different, if it, it's a different kind of big. But when you have Tatum, when you have Marcus Smart as your smallest player, right. who's like, you know, he's like 6'3", but he's also – He's like eight feet tall. We, we all kind of know that. Um, and then you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I mean, those are long, big dudes. And then they're playing Horford, Williams, Grant Williams off the bench, who's another one of those bruising Bowser-type players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just... What what series are you most excited about? We actually should have started. We probably should have started with our glowing because this season, like we, Dave and I actually haven't talked about basketball for most of the season. Right. But what we what we do say is like, oh my god, the standings are amazing. The playoffs need to start. This is incredible, and I I don't know how you feel. I feel like the matchups have mostly delivered. I mean, Milwaukee, Boston, second round potential. Philly, Toronto, first round. Miami, but even just Brooklyn, where they're going to play in the West. I love the way the West bracket shook out with some of the matchups, and then the second round. I mean, I, I it's spectacular to me. Um, my favorite first round series. Uh, I mean, I think it's Philly, Toronto, just because I do think that it's a combustible series, uh, in particular for Philadelphia, Toronto. I mean, there's a little bit of we're happy to be here with Toronto. I think because. They did start off so poorly and then came on strong. And just making the being the fifth seed and out of the play in is a huge success story, I, I think. See, I I understand why you would say that, yeah. but I just think the guys they have on the roster 
and the coach don't think that way. I right? agree. Like, but Siakam, so, think about how Siakam has had looked, and and now he is clearly fully recovered from the the shoulder and was it a knee as well like that was bothering him, but he looks. I mean, I don't know if you've done your All NBA ballot, but is he on yours? They don't. They don't give me an All I NBA. Mean, but you I know, know you do yeah. All NBA. I I I have not done an All NBA ballot in uh, quite some time. I think if I had to do one, I, I don't know. I don't know who the third team guys would be. But I, I mean, I've I've been high on Siakam since he started cooking in December, and it was always one of my big things with the Fred Van Vliet dialogue, which is like, what you guys are. I understand why, as a home team, you want to get another new player on the All Star team, but like Siakam's your best player, right? He's he's smoking, right? And so now you come into the playoff series, and this is where I'm kind of pushing back on you specifically because I think Siakam, Van Fleet, Van Vliet, championship pedigree, um, the way Gary Trent Jr. is wired, right, and just like the opportunity that he has in front of him. I mean, is Toronto going to make the conference finals? Is that well, you think they are. I, mean, I, I think, think they're they... going to lose in the first round. But... Oh, you think they're going to lose to Philadelphia? I just don't think they have the firepower. And they probably think... don't. They probably don't. Yeah. I can just envision this happening. I mean, let's be honest here, right? This is very much a, uh, I expect the Sixers to melt down. <laughs> and unfortunately, Danny Green is probably going to play too much. I hate to say that, but I mean, it's just, that's the unfortunate reality. And so uh, if Danny Green is kind of the guy like you need Danny Green to make shots. That's a that's a bad place to be. Yeah. We I feel robbed not getting the Bulls because um they just are so fun and so exciting when they're healthy and they're and they're not healthy and on top of that they have a bad matchup with the Bucks. That's that's I don't think that's a matchup that served them well. I mean, that could for, be a sweep, man. Yeah, it's that's that's a tough draw for them. So that side of the bracket though where you know, I I think Philadelphia is probably going to advance past that first round series with you're Toronto. Probably, you're probably right. I'm just, but then you know, I like to root, I, I really like to root for a little bit of chaos. Well, no, now you've got me completely sold. Uh, I'm going to have to root. Um, I'm going to have to like put a seance dance together and put on some wine and gold and get my Cavaliers gear going here because I'm going to need Brooklyn to be on that Miami Philadelphia side of the bracket because I. I think I might kind of. I think I might have to pick Brooklyn in a series with Miami. Oh, this is that would be so scary yeah. if you're if you're Miami. Okay, how do you score with those guys? I just don't know. I mean, now look, we know that Brooklyn's not going to defend. Although maybe Ben Simmons is good, um, but it's yeah, been I just it's don't been a little. Score. It's been a little better. The 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 defensive principles mm-hmm. have been a little better. I feel like everything with Brooklyn has tightened up a little bit. Once the kind of um, the clay dried after that trade, because even just getting in minutes with Andre Drummond at center and some of the things he provides as a big body and Bruce Brown kind of finding his way again. And then with Seth Curry on the court, they've been fantastic. You know, what a compliment to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant offensively. And then so you fill in the other two positions with, you know, if Nick Claxton can give you good minutes, uh, I mentioned Bruce Brown, um, you know, I don't know if it's Kessler Edwards. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's a shame they, they don't have Jared Allen, you know. <laughs> You're saying someone like that could help? I mean, maybe. Although I think Drummond has been really good this season. He was yeah, good in Philadelphia has. before he got traded. He was really, he was their backup offense. He was awesome, man. And yeah. I mean, his defense, 
what he has been able to do, like his hands are awesome. They're fantastic. And, and I think that, like you said, I mean, they have been better recently. It's just, does it hold up? Now against Miami, of course it holds up because their offense is awful. Was that a Cody Hodek reference when you shouted out? Of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> course it was. Cody, hey, Cody's a star, man. I, I, I've been texting you that, but that guy's really good. He's entertaining. He's fantastic. Yeah. And he, um, if you missed our all-defensive awards episode last week, we looked at best hands in the league, and Cody, of course, um, gave a shout-out to Andre Drummond. So, okay, is there anything left to say on the playoffs, is there any big bombshells that you haven't dropped, like this Toronto <laughs> going to the finals? I don't think Toronto's um, going to the finals. That would be, that would, <laughs> what a great story that would be. Scotty Barnes is a rookie. Well, each round know. we could find out who isn't vaccinated. Oh, and gosh. then and then they could take advantage of that in, in the games in Toronto. And it would just, as you know, it would be wonderful positive discourse amongst oh, our yeah. society. Oh, they're going to move the Raptors if this is the case, like if, if a, a high profile guy has to miss games, but they're just going to say, okay, we're going to move you to Maine for the Buffalo. rest of the playoffs. Buffalo. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, definitely not Tampa though. We know that that, that doesn't work. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Uh, it's funny how, how a few people have managed to kind of just fly under the radar this whole year. And now it's like winning time. And I don't know, to me, I, I prefer guys that want to play in the games. Those are those are the winners, right? So, yeah, I, I hope we don't see any more of those guys popping up. Dave, thanks as always for coming by and yeah, um, having no plan. I love it. This is we just meander. It's a, it's a it's a meandering style show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we're we're on the trail, um, but you know, occasionally we scramble up some walls. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. If you want to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We have additional content, proprietary stats leaderboard that will update daily throughout the postseason. We have a discord community where this weekend we're going to have our monthly live Q&A. So you get to pepper me with a bunch of questions about the playoffs. Actually, what they do, Dave, is when the playoffs are coming up, then they ask me questions about 1976. And then and then during the off <laughs> and then during the off season, when I'm when I'm working on historical stuff, then they ask me about the summer workouts of of rookies in the it's it's very confusing. I, anyway, <laughs> patreon.com slash thinking basketball if you want to take part in that fun. That's just the best way to directly support all things thinking basketball. Uh, you know, I listen to your show, and occasionally you guys will start talking about, like, I don't know, the 94 Sonics. And you'll have, like, oh, Gary Payton uh, averaged, like, 42 minutes a game or whatever. I'm like, go outside, nerds. <laughs> you mean we need to get our outdoor touches per 36? Yeah, get those up a little, up higher. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're looking kind of pale right now, Ben. I'm worried about you. Yeah, I've been locked inside in, in front of a basketball screen. Um, for how many months have we been in here? I, I, it's like severance, Dave. I feel like I'm just... The, See, now I'm going to watch innie. this show. I, I yeah. heard it was like The Office meets Lost. Is that... Um, it is... It is, oh, is it like The Office meets Lost? I understand why someone would say that. It feels... there. There's like a lost component, I think, for some people in terms of unraveling a mystery. Uh... I don't know if is I would say funny. It's not really that funny, okay. which is where the office. So not a dark part. comedy. It's. I think it has some dark comedic moments, but I mean, certainly it's my like, impression. It's not like Cable Guy. No, it's not like Cable okay. Guy. No, it's uh, it's a little bit more serious than that. Okay, but um, 
any for those who watch the show the the any ben is <laughs> has been locked in watching games all summer so um Dave, how do I now? How do I end this podcast? I don't even. I don't, I don't know. even remember. I, uh, well, I guess can we all plug the Athletic NBA show and, and yes, please, your appearance please. later on this week on Nerder, where we're gonna do a Western Conference preview, but with Seth and Mo. So it's gonna be quite a bit different than what you and I do here. And uh, I always, I mean, I always love to get you, you three especially, cooking. You know, I, I go in there and just stir it up, but you guys. You guys give me like such a unique perspective from the three of you. So, so that's how that. we're going to – that's a to be continued. Yeah we're, yeah, we're doing this again in two days. Yeah, we're yeah. going gonna, gonna to continue this conversation. It's, it's, it's probably going to be a lot saltier and spicier well, over certainly. there. Oh, yeah, yeah. although I'm, I'm a bit sad that we're doing the Western Conference and not the East because Mo would absolutely be on fire – for Philadelphia and Toronto. We might actually just have to throw that out there to him and just let him go for a couple minutes. I don't, I don't know how to end the show. Uh, I usually just say, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's the end of the... No, I have... To, they get very mad at me if I if I don't end the show properly. It's not so, formal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that formal. So, uh, as always, I appreciate you listening all the way until the end. And wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day.